Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. This, I am your host, Adam Chapman, and welcome to episode four. Uh, today's episode is all about the comics that were released this week, the week of August the 22nd. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, to be honest with you, as a bit of a, I guess, a preamble, uh, as a general overview of this week's comics, can't say I was uh, really that impressed by the week in general. Uh, a lot of middling books, a lot of books that, you know, they were okay. Um, they didn't necessarily present a, a lot of really great stories. Some of the artwork was okay, but I wasn't, it was, wasn't a week. Last week, I think I had, there was more books where I was like, this is really good, this is fantastic, this is well, really well-written and well-illustrated stuff. This was more of a week where I was kind of like, eh. Uh, I really, I kind of didn't go either way in some of the material. It, it, not, not a lot of it really kind of grabbed me and, and, and really made me excited. Uh, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, the first book we're going to take a look at is Amazing Spider-Man 692. Uh, this is a pretty big issue, at least it should have been. Um, I mean, it's the, it's the big 50th anniversary of Spider-Man, and Dan Slott's doing a, a bit of a, a turnaround on the, on the classic idea, and that now, you know, we already know that Peter Parker is, is Spider-Man. However, uh, now we get the sidekick who's kind of born of the same kind of, um, uh, circumstances. Uh, now, for this, I do have to apologize. I haven't actually had a chance to read the, uh, the two backups, Spider-Man for a Night by Dean Haspiel. Uh, or Just Right by Joshua Hill, uh, Fialkov, and Nuno Platy. So I do apologize in advance, but I did. I was able to read the main story, so my my uh, my rating is going to be mainly for just the main story, the main meat of this issue, uh, which is Point of Origin, uh, which is by Dancelot and Humberto Ramos. Uh, this is a book which was very like highly publicized because you know Spider-Man's going to get a sidekick. It's this new character, Alpha. The character's name is actually uh, Andy McGuire, which is a, a wink and a nod to Andrew Garfield, who played Spider-Man in the most recent Amazing Spider-Man movie, and Tobey Maguire, who played Spider-Man in the original original Sam Raimi trilogy of Spider-Man films uh, in the uh, the aughts. Uh, so this was this is what people were really like. You know, this is this could be something special. This could be really good. Uh, really, after last issue, which was just such a strong end to the Lizard storyline, and then you also had Roderick Kingsley showing up, I was so like, yeah, pump, you know, pumping my fist in the air and really excited by what Dan Slott was doing. And then we got into this issue, and it just was very much like a, you know, so what? Um, I, I can't say I was really that interested or engaged by the new character of uh, Alpha. Um, I, I do like that, you know, Peter Parker's creating something, uh, Parker Particles, and, uh, I mean, there, there are some humorous bits in here with regards to how they kind of handle that, but for the most part, it just kind of felt like an issue that, you know, it was trying too hard to to create a character who's kind of like Peter Parker today, and it, it almost made me feel like Peter Parker is even rarer than he could have been before, because nowadays, it almost makes it seem like young people who are in that kind of situation, who are at school, kind of ignored by people, are just kind of jerks. Like, Andy McGuire is a jerk character. He doesn't, he's not written in a way that really makes me want to read more of him. I get what, what Dan Slott's going for, and it's kind of showing that, you know, but you have the juxtaposition of this kid is Peter Parker's responsibility because he's transformed because of his experiment. You also have that this kid has this power and no sense of responsibility. Uh, he's also a very public hero as opposed to Peter Parker was always very secret. So I, I get the, the kind of the play that he's trying to go on here, but uh, it really did not make me want to read the next two installments. It made me want to just skip them over and go right to the Hobgoblin arc. Um, 
maybe it'll really go somewhere in the next two issues. I just this issue very it it, it wasn't bad, and that's that's actually something I need to need to stress. It wasn't a bad issue. I just didn't find myself enjoying the character. I found Andy McGuire annoying. Uh, I can't say I'm really that interested in seeing more of him or seeing where the storyline goes even. So I'm I'm, I'm going to give the issue a six out of ten. Ramos's artwork is pretty good. It's it's. Actually, the the fact that it's Ramos and artwork makes Andy McGuire feel like Impulse, but he's nowhere near as likable as Impulse was, even as on his most annoying days. Uh, you know, it it's not bad. I mean, and that's what i got to say about Dan Slott. His Amazing Spider-Man run has never been bad. There have been some stuff that's misfired a little and hasn't been as solid, but he's never been bad. His writing just isn't bad. He's He's a good writer. This didn't connect with me as much as a reader, but... I appreciate what he was going for. I just didn't really personally feel it. It succeeded. Uh, next up is Astonishing X-Men number 53. Uh, now, this issue continues the storyline of you know the X-Men not knowing, trying to find out what's happened to Karma because she's done some really bad things in the last few issues. Uh, I actually really dug this. The, the last couple issues haven't been as solid. Sometimes the artwork's not as, as strong. But this issue... I almost it was one of those issues where I kind of was like, why do we even like this? But like, it, I really did enjoy it. Uh, the reason why I kind of think like, why do we even like this? It's such a odd, oddly placed X book. Like, Astonishing X Men when it first started was such a huge book. It it was like it wasn't regular enough to be the real flagship book, but everyone kind of knew that's where things were going down because Joss Whedon and Cassidy were firing on all cylinders. Ever since then, it's just kind of been passed around like this odd baton. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people really care about it. It's just that this weird X book that keeps going, but I don't even know if it needs to. Kind of like the uh, adjectivalist X Men that's currently running. So Marjorie Liu is writing, wrote this issue. The art's by Mark, Mike Perkins. Great artwork. The actual the issue's pretty solid. Um, again, it's not a very difficult or uh, you know complex issue, but there's some really nice character beats with. Beast, uh, you know, with Cecilia Reyes and them kind of bonding and being like, you know, it's too bad we don't get to hang out more often because, you know, she's not an X-Man. It's always been very against being in that life. Uh, they're trying to find out what's happened to Karma uh, because she's done some bad things recently. And when they finally find her, they got to try and, you know, rescue her and save her life. And uh, the ending of the issue is a, is a cute nod in the way I was looking at it to... Uh, the secret wars with um, the Hulk holding up, you know, all the rubble and the heroes being inside. This time, this it's, it's Cecilia Reyes with her own, uh, you know, her power, which is to create like a, a force field. Uh, I actually really liked how how North Star is being written in this book. I think it's probably the best North Star has ever been written. Uh, it's very mature. I mean, I think usually when people write North Star, they go, they really go hard on to the, the idea that he's, you know, very kind of quicksilverish, you know, he's a bit of a jerk, and that's kind of been his defining character trait, besides him being gay since the 90s, but usually that they don't play that up too much. Uh, what I like here is that he really feels like a more, like a real character. He's, he's, you know, he's got a relationship, he's married now, but that has its own responsibilities, he still is with the team. I, I think he's probably one of the most realized characters on that Lou's writing. Uh, Cecilia Reyes, it's always nice to see her. Not the best depiction of of, of uh, Iceman here, but I do like whenever he's with Deathbird, regardless of what book, because they just have a weird chemistry that I like. And actually, Gambit's written fairly well as well, which is hard, which is sometimes a really hard thing to do. So, uh, overall, uh, pretty good issue. I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I still wonder why the book exists, and especially with AVX going on, it has nothing to do with that. So where it even takes place, but I give that a seven point five out of ten. 
that brings us to uh, Batman Incorporated number three. Now, this book, some people probably already have this book because it came out, I think, uh, more than a month ago, but it was recalled originally uh, because of some of the material being a little sensitive uh, in the wake of uh, Aurora in Colorado. So this is a pretty good issue. I'm, I, People who know me or have read my reviews before know that I'm not exactly a huge fan of Morrison. That being said, I really, really dug this book. Um, this, I mean, it's something about it. I, I, first of all, I always love when Batman uh, takes on the persona of Mattress Malone. I've always thought that that is some great stuff, uh, that he has this underworld persona he can take over and whenever he needs to. Um, and I also liked here how he's trying to get up information, but then you have Dick Grayson standing in as Batman, and uh, the only bad thing about that is that he looks like three feet taller than Batman, and that doesn't make any sense. He must have some crazy lifts when he was wearing the Batsuit here, but otherwise, uh, Morrison is writing it, and Burnham, Chris Burnham's on art. Uh, fantastic issue. The artwork at times almost reminded me of Fraser Irving, that kind of style. Um, but it's a, a Matches Malone story, kind of Matches Malone trying to figure out more about kind of what's going on with the Leviathan, so we can kind of get closer to what's going on. Um, also, uh, Damien has having to kind of play it, play it cool and play it on the down low because he's supposed to be dead, even though he wasn't. Uh, obviously, the the big cliffhanger to issue one was that you know he was shot, uh, but he's not dead. He's just kind of pretending it so that it'll look differently. Um, so, and plus, what I really liked at the end of this issue is uh, uh, Damien kind of t- takes a a trick from. Um, uh, Nightwing's all you know, kind of playbook, because uh, now he's Redbird, uh, because he's grounded, and he's like Redbird makes his own rules. Uh, we also see the brief appearance of uh, the. Um, uh, I apologize. Try to think of the name. Uh, oh, the Batgoat. Sorry, uh, Batcow. Sorry, in the uh, which I, I love. I love any time that we see this uh, this weird animal. I think it's uh, so so much fun to see. Uh, so that's that's this issue. It's it, it, it's pretty solid if you're liking the Leviathan storyline overall. It does feel like everything that he's kind of written uh, since the pre New Fifty Two and beyond is really kind of coming together. Um, so I gave that actually a nine out of ten. It was I I found I felt entertained all the way through. Um, pretty solid story. Great characterization of Batman as matches Malone and as himself. I like seeing Dick in there. Uh, I also liked how Damian Wayne was written. Uh, I'm really liking Damian Wayne more and more. Um, I really hated him when he first came on the scene. He's really, he's kind of like uh, Andy McGuire from Amazing Spider-Man. He was just this unrepentant punk. Uh, but the more I read of him, the more I'm actually coming to like him. And I think the writers are starting to figure out a handle on him a little bit better. And that's really making for better stories. Um, because now he has more of a personality. He's not just a jerk. He's... He's got a lot to prove, and he wants. He doesn't want to sit in the sidelines. He wants to be part of things. He wants to be in the action. And uh, sometimes it gets him into trouble, but, I mean, he's a headstrong, strong character now and not just a headstrong jerk, which is originally how he was kind of written. So, as I said, 9 out of 10 for Batman Incorporated number 3. That brings us to uh, Before Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan uh, number 1. Uh, this is, uh, I haven't been, I have to admit, I haven't read all the Before Watchmen books, uh, I've read Rorschach, uh, I believe the first issue of Minutemen, I don't think I read the second issue. Um, I really dug this book. Uh, that being said, uh, I can understand why people might hate this book. 
Uh, it's written by J. Michael Straczynski, and uh, it's with art by Adam Hughes. Fans of Adam Hughes will know that he does not usually do interiors anymore, so you should really enjoy every panel here. It is gorgeous, because it, it, it's really rare that he's even doing panel work, so it's some gorgeous panels. The, the issue that people might have with this is that, well, first of all, it retreads a lot of ground that uh, Alan Moore had already laid for the character in Watchmen, so that there's already the kind of that going on. But uh, that being said, and I really liked how JMS kind of took what we already knew of the character and the way that uh, Alan Moore wrote the character and then did a little bit more with it and, and kind of looking at the idea of Schrodinger's box and what that means for alternate realities and what that means for a man like Dr. Manhattan. It does kind of mean that you have there are certain implications definitely throughout the issue that he can kind of affect time and and these choices and realities whereas the original watchman was definitely more of a predestination and that these things were always going to happen like he didn't stop the jfk assassination because it was meant to happen that's just the way it already played out this feels a little different because uh he can kind of see the differences and uh it looks like he kind of subtly influences a change in the timeline so that he's partnered up with silk specter instead of with um Rorschach on one of their first, uh, you know, patrols. That being said, I don't, I, these are the types of things I thought about afterwards. But when I read the book, I loved it. And I felt like it was just a great, it, it really picked up exactly from character beats that we already saw in Watchmen, but challenged a little bit of it. And, and I, I like alternate reality stuff. I like the idea of alternate realities and that every action or inaction causes another reality to be made. So the fact that JMS really leaned hard on that, and you can really get away with that with a character like Dr. Manhattan because it's so ingrained in who that character is and how he even perceives time and just the uh, you know the quantum mechanics of it all. So I thought it was actually really good, fantastic. The artwork was gorgeous. It was really meaningful. Um, I love the idea of you know, what's in the box, what's inside the box, what is the perception. Uh, JMS did a brilliant job, and Adam Hughes is the, probably the best artist that could be uh, accompanying him on this book. So I definitely uh, gave that a 9 out of 10, almost a 9.5. It was just, maybe the Four Watchmen books don't need, don't need to exist, but if they're going to exist, they might as well be damn good. And this that's what this was. So did we need this book? No, we didn't. But did I enjoy it anyway? And was it really good for what it was? Hell yes. So it's definitely uh, worth uh, giving a listen to. Uh, next up is Captain America and Namor 635.1. Uh, I almost feel like they should just drop the the and, you know, blank and just be like Captain America Presents or something. Because that's basically what this book is now. And I think it's just driving collectors who like, you know, having having a book and it's numbering continue and then this is just more like you know this issue is gonna be captain america and iron man captain america and bucky captain america and this captain america and hawkeye and namor and it's just i feel like it just needs to kind of stop i like that it's these different team-ups but it almost just means to be captain america team-up or just something else it doesn't need to be changing its name every issue um and plus being a namor team-up is oddly placed considering how AVX is going on, because it has nothing to do with that, nothing at all. It's totally just a, a flashback story. Um, so it's just kind of odd placement, especially with next issue is going to be totally different. It's going to be, it looks like it's going to be a, more of a Black Widow issue. So it's kind of confusing as to why they'd even bother. That being said, great issue. Um, I really like how they portray Captain America and Namor. We don't see a lot of Namor on his own with, uh, from the World War II perspective and what he was thinking, why he was really getting involved 
and how he really worked with Cap. It's still from Captain America's perspective, this issue, don't get me wrong, but we see a little bit more from what Namor would have been going through and why he even bothers kind of getting involved. And um, It's it's Cap and, uh, Cap and Namor up against the Thule and uh, trying, to get, trying to find an artifact, and, uh, a Lemurian artifact. Uh, very, very cool. Very good story. Namor, uh, just as self-righteous as always, but, you know, and very violent, but, you know, he's trying to, uh, protect his people and potentially be involved with this group, um, that, you know, wanted him to find this, this ancient mask and the, it's a, it's really solid stuff. It's really enjoyable. Uh, it also gives a nice kind of background on the Kraken and how that would, eventually create some story storylines down the road um on its own it's i mean some of that more of those cool implications aren't really involved so if you really are looking at just this issue it's a solid team up uh i like that it's not dragging out to be multiple issues i like that said in world war ii because i like seeing that version of captain america i mean he's still cap but there are subtle differences because he's more of a soldier and not just a superhero so uh pretty good considering it's a title that cannot keep a name for more than one issue usually uh, i give that an eight out of ten uh next up is deadpool kills uh oh my apologies the uh the credits on cap america and namor uh it was written by colin bunn and the artwork in this issue is presented by will conrad brings us to deadpool kills the marvel universe number four now i thought there was five issues so when i got to the end of this issue i was kind of like wait what 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 happens next? What you know? What what's the next uh, issue? So I just said what like so many times in one sentence. Uh, it, once again, Colin Bunn is the writer with Dalibor Talajic. I apologize for masquering that artist's name uh, on artwork. Uh, I've really been digging this uh, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. Does it need to happen? No, it's just a fun, ridiculous what if. Uh, but there's some cool stuff that I really liked. I like how Frank Castle got involved and. Um, how Deadpool outsmarted him, uh, how Deadpool did probably the smartest way to kill a lot of heroes is to get them to do like a mass suicide because of the, uh, and get the puppet master to do it. And it's just such a, a, a brilliant idea, actually. I mean, I've actually been surprised by how smart some of the ideas are in here for how Deadpool actually dispatches a lot of these characters. And then the only thing that doesn't quite work there is that Deadpool's last battle with Taskmaster isn't quite excuse me, isn't quite as interesting as it could be uh, in the nexus of all realities, mainly because of how Man-Thing gets involved. Uh, that being said, pretty solid issue. It's was, it was fun to see you know, Deadpool win and uh, Bun being a little creative in how it gets done. The reason why I kind of didn't know how I felt about the end of it is that it just kind of just kind of ends. Like Instead of having like a like he kills himself or he kill, like actually kills Eternity or something where it would be like this really big bang, it just kind of ended with a whimper because then he ends up in the, you know, about to kill the people who actually wrote the comic so and edited it. So I just thought that was a bit of a, a letdown because the issue was really building to like something crazy cool and it just felt like, and it's over. Um, but that being said, the fights were cool. I liked him versus Punisher. I liked him versus Taskmaster. I liked the Puppet Master was involved. I liked how they explained some of the deaths. Uh, so overall, didn't quite give me the same feeling the last issue did, but it was still good. Uh, again, a, a more conclusive, uh, dynamic, kind of bombastic boom ending would have been a lot more appreciated. So I gave that a 7 out of 10. Uh, next up is Green Lantern, New Guardians, number 12. Um, this is a book I, I kind of dropped it, and then I kind of came back to try and 
read up on it. Um, Tony Bedard is a writer I really enjoy. Tyler Kirkham is an artist I really like. I wish this book was better. I wish the Green Lantern books in general were better. That being said, this was much stronger. Uh, I like, but this but this issue really reinforced to me how the New Fifty Two really didn't affect Green Lantern at all, and it just feels awkward as a result. But uh, you got Green Lantern, sorry, Kyle Rayner, and uh, all the other uh, the core the, the New Guardians all going up against Invictus. Uh, we also have uh, the Weaponers back. Uh, pretty solid issue overall. I love the Weaponer. I don't know what it is about him, but the more the more I see of him, the more I'm uh, I'm intrigued by him. Uh, that being said, the way the Invictus is kind of beaten, eh, it kind of feels anticlimactic a little. Um, I do like how we're kind of learning about why and how all the rings went to Kamrainer in the first place, uh, and then it kind of just tears the entire group apart. But I. Do, I I just don't know like what the point is then. Like after this issue, I really don't know where they're going to go with this book, and especially how the third army is going to work. And Saeed want, wanting to save uh, Ganthet, and with the Green Lantern Annual that's about to come out, I think it's just I, I feel like what what's the next step? This issue is good as a standalone, like on its own, it's actually fairly entertaining and good. I just I, I when I get bogged down in the details is where it fits in how it's all going to work um, because this book feels so different than the uh, both other books I mean it's so separate especially with how Kyle Rayner is being written it feels like they don't know how to write Kyle Rayner these days unless he's on his own kind of being uh, the only Green Lantern a friend of mine actually made a good point of some of the best Green Lantern stories when he was the only Green Lantern and so it's ironic that finally he gets a starring role in a Green Lantern book again and guess what he's the only Green Lantern in the book so <laughs> there's something about him being the last Green Lantern or the only Green Lantern that seems to resonate with how writers write him now ever since Hal came back uh, I guess in 2004 or 5 uh, I gave that uh, 7 out of 10 uh, Invincible Iron Man number 523 as we get closer and closer to the end of this long, long running storyline uh, by uh, Matt Fraction and Salvador LaRocca. This was a pretty solid issue. The artwork I'm done with. Um, there's nothing, it's not bad artwork. It just, there's something to do with the colors are kind of drab. Even even given like the how cool Rescue could look and how cool the new Iron Man armor could look, it always kind of looks a little drab and boring. Uh, I don't know why that is, but that's just kind of the way it looks. Um, it it could be more interesting. It just isn't. Uh, the artwork should be more vibrant. The story is interesting because we're kind of seeing, you know, a revolution of sorts about to take place with with Tony and uh, and Stain going up against Mandarin soon. So I'm really excited to see how it all plays out. I just wish the artwork grabbed me more. And so, although I'm not really sure that Greg Land is the right choice for the upcoming Iron Man book, I think it, depending on the colorist, still at least will pop more visually. Uh, even though it'll be the same image over and over and over again, and will lack a little bit of originality. Um, but that's just the chance to take. Um, next up is Punisher number 14. Uh, absolutely adore this book, uh, and I have since the beginning. Greg Ruck has told a very different type of Punisher story. It's not one Punisher story you've read before. In fact, half the time he's barely there. He's more of a presence. Um, the artwork in this issue is done by, uh, I believe it's uh, Swan... 
sorry, Miko Suan, and uh, the colors by Matt Hollingsworth, who has just been dynamic on this on this book. I mean, he has such a clear, concise idea of what, what colors are going to keep the visual tone. So even when you have different artists coming in and out, because uh, Chichito isn't in this issue, uh, it still looks great. It has a it maintains a consistent visual tone as a result of uh, the art, of the colors. Uh, this is kind of like what we've been leading to with. Uh, Rachel Cole finally coming face to face with like you know the people that kind of killed her life, her old life, and uh, they it, it's it's a great Punisher and friend story because everyone always underestimates the Punisher and they're like oh we think we've got him figured out, we think we know exactly what we're gonna do. He you know we're too smart, and Punisher is a lot smarter than anyone else. And when he if he wants to take you down, he will. Um, I the issue kind of ends on not a cliffhanger. It's almost a little bit of a lunchbag letdown because you know she finally gets kind of her revenge. It's over. She he kills the woman responsible. Um, they're about to burn the place to the ground, and then it just kind of ends. So it didn't even feel like you know, uh, like the last bit of dialogue is, is is it's done. Now let's burn this place down. And I didn't even get the sense from that. It was like a now well, let's burn this place down. Bum bum bum. But instead, it's just more like, let's burn this place down. And I'm like, where are we going next? What's the next, is the next issue? Are we actually going to see it burn down? Like, it just felt like this weird, inconclusive ending, especially with how long the story's been going. And I'm also not sure how many more issues there are of this title. I mean, I think there's at least one before we get uh, Warzone coming up. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how it kind of all wraps up. I'll be sad to see this book go, um, since Warzone wraps up Ruckus' run on the character. It's been so different, um... It's been very down to earth, and I like that that Punisher lost it. You know, it has is doesn't have his eye right now, or I don't actually know if he still has his eye or not. If it's just damaged, but I mean, he's wearing the eye patch, and I just it just feels like a very grim and gritty, but not too grim and gritty version of the Punisher. Um, and he's just been written exceedingly well. He's a real badass in this book. Uh, the artwork is fantastic, as I already mentioned. So it was a very solid. So I give that an eight out of ten. Uh, next we have Secret Avengers number 30. Uh, this book, man, I I just feel so confused half the time. Like, I like how the book started off with, you know, the Shadow Council and did that for like two arcs. But then it got involved in Fear Itself and it kind of lost its way. And then you had, uh, sorry, did it get lost in Fear Itself? Maybe it didn't. I apologize. No, I think it got lost in Fear Itself. But you also had Warren Ellis writing his great one-off stories about the Shadow Council, which didn't really move the Shadow Council story forward at all, but told amazing quick stories. And then you had Hawkeye come aboard the book when Remender did, and it just felt like... And we had that weird father story. Um, and then you had the weird AVX tie-in. So the book's really been bouncing around between really good and just kind of odd and strange. So now you got Rick Remender writing still with Matty, Matteo... Scaleri or Scalera, I apologize. Um, finally, bringing Max Fury into it, so I guess they're kind of tying this off. Uh, I like part of the issue. The artwork wasn't really quite to my taste. Um, you have uh, Venom kind of breaking in and trying to break the rules, and you know, try and get the figure out and f- uh, sorry, fight Taskmaster to get the crown that he's got that he's going to give to Max Fury. Uh, you got some nice Ant-Man action in there as well. Um, really, a, a great high-speed chase with uh, Valkyrie and Hawkeye going after Taskmaster that would have been a lot better if a different artist had done it. It's not that it's necessarily badly illustrated. It's just I think it could have been stronger. Um, it could have been a little bit more dynamic visually. 
uh, the artist definitely does his best, but I think it got a little bit more confusing at, at, at times to really know what was going on. Um, but, uh, and then Max, Max Fury, I, I like the idea that, you know, he's, he's, he's bringing all these people together. He wants everyone to jo- basically join the abyss. He wants to put all these things together to create this super crown. And then when he finally does, it doesn't work. Um, and at the end of the day, he's not human. That's really cool. And it really, I almost thought that that should have been the end of the storyline because I think that would have worked in a very strong level. Like at the end of the day, this guy who pretty much felt he was human because he's an LMD who's come to life and gone insane isn't human. And so everything he's done, his big, his big plan to get this together, to do all this mind control and really have the best take over was for not. And it's almost heartbreaking, but not because he's a villain. And then you have Taskmaster put it on. And I was just like, eh, I actually would have been happier if I think that the storyline had ended because where's it going to go next? They're just going to fight Taskmaster and get the, 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 you know, the, um, uh, the crown off of him, and then it's just going to be over. Is there really a reason to that? Do we need to see that? So I personally don't think we need to. So I, I gave it a seven out of, seven out of ten. The artwork could have been stronger. Um, the ending could have been a little stronger as well. It's not bad. Again, a lot of the stuff this week is it's okay. It's not amazing. Didn't blow my socks off, but it was still okay. Next up is Superman number 12. Uh, I admit I haven't been reading all these issues. And this just kind of felt like the same problem that we had earlier on in the series. Where we just kind of had things happening. And I, I, I think this was definitely better uh, than I expected it to be. Because it's, it felt very like, and now he's up against uh, this creature from another reality. And Dan Jorgens is you know doing the story and the pencil art. But it actually became something much more by the end. Uh a great uh, kind of an I was actually surprised that Superman kept being so much so hardcore on like you know you killed people and not kind of understanding that like this thing this animal doesn't this creature this alien doesn't even want to be there it just wants to go back to its own reality and that it was brought here against its will and it didn't mean to start all this and just wants to go home it's it very much feels like a late 80s early 90s kind of spider uh, sorry spider-man uh superman story um, it, I think it isn't until the second half of the book where it really starts to pick up and you realize that, you know, Superman needs, where he kind of, Clark really realizes that he needs to live more. He needs to not just be Superman, he really needs to open himself up to all, and he's been cutting himself off from life, and that now he's going to. So he goes bungee jumping with Lucy Lane, which, I mean, is a great, it, it's a great image just seeing him jump and her not knowing that he can fly and be Superman and everything, obviously, because that would kind of take away the, the impact of doing a uh, bungee jumping. But this is the first time in a while where I can actually say, like, man, Superman's having a good time. Like, I think a lot of the more modern Superman stories, especially in the New 52, have made his life seem so serious. And this was just Clark having fun, like being, you know what? I got to be able to live my life. I got to be able, I can't just be Superman. I can't be serious all the time. I'm allowed to have a life as well. I do well, I do good things in the world, and I will endeavor to continue doing so, but I have, there's also time for Clark, there's also time for Clark to have a good time and then cut loose, and I like seeing that, the first half of the issue still drags a little, but the latter half, especially when you get to the end, it really feels like a nice fresh beginning, like Superman can have fun, it just feels like a different Clark which is good, because if you're going to do New 52, why not make Clark feel different? A lot of the times he didn't quite feel that different, he kind of felt the same. This issue really made it feel like, no, he is different, He's he does feel a little younger, and he does feel like someone who's been burdened with all this responsibility, but you know what? He doesn't need to be, and he can have fun. So I really like that. I gave it a 7 out of 10, however. Uh, next up is Teen Titans, number 12. Uh, I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. This book 
is uh, I, 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 I kind of I, I read it every couple issues, and I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, Brett Booth is the art, Scott Lovedell doing the writing. Uh, it's not bad because I, I, what I realized as I read this book, and I just recently in the last week or two watched read all the uh, sorry not read watched all the Young Justice episodes from season one and from the first seven to season two. So when I read this book. Suddenly, I enjoyed Superboy a lot more because I was reading him like the Superboy from that, which he really is. I mean, he is more the Superboy from Young Justice than he is from the new pre-New Fifty Two, which is the one I always remembered and, and knew most. But this is this is a Connor or Connell who's more like that. Uh, so it's basically Tim Drake and uh, Superboy trying to stop Wonder Woman, sorry Wonder Girl, who's been possessed, and finally trying to free her, and then. Um, from this from this armor and what it, what that kind of means, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, and how she she kind of has to be the one who wears this thing, and it's her it's it's her cross to bear, or else a lot of people are going to die. So um, I like the issue because the main focus was on the three characters I know the best, which was Red Robin, Superboy, and Wonder Girl. It didn't focus on as much on the other characters, which was I think was better because I'm not as big a fan of them. And so by keeping the, the focus tight. And the action plentiful, and it just felt like more of a old school kind of read. I actually, actually dug it more than I thought I would. Uh, so I gave it a six point five out of ten. The backup story uh, by Nishizia and Jorge Jimenez, not as huge a fan. Uh, it's Kid Flash versus Dinosaur People. If you didn't read uh, DC Comics Presents last week, then you might be uh, missing out a little. May not, maybe a bit confused. Missing out may be a strong term. I don't think you really missed out on a whole lot, but you will be a little confused. But it's easy to pick up that issue, and it's actually, as I said last time, it's not a great issue, but it's fun, and it's nice to see Bart Allen kind of taking the um, this the lead. So next up is The Flash, number 12, speaking of a speedy character. I gave this one a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, why not higher? I thought it could have been better, to be honest with you. Um... You get a lot of the rogues together, and it's mainly the Golden Glider. I guess he's really just Glider now is the one who's uh, kind of doing it. Some interesting stuff is happening in this book. I just thought it uh, could have been a little stronger. You have Captain Cold uh, kind of being at odds with the rest of the, uh, of the, uh, the rogues. Uh, you got Glider trying to really kind of messing with the, the perception of the Flash in the... Uh, in media because she really injures uh, Dr. Elias and then you got Flash tries to save him but then everyone sees him with the body so they think that he's that he's he's done it it's his fault and so it's an interesting book you have all the rogues coming together you're building towards a big uh, confrontation in the annual um I like how Captain Cold is at odds with the, with the rogues because usually when people think of the rogues they think of Captain Cold leading them so this is more you got uh Heatwave uh, Weather Wizard and Glider against them. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't the greatest issue. It had a solid kind of sense of, uh, of of action, but I'm not a huge fan of some of the story ideas. I just, I kind of feel like it needs to be a little bit more imaginative and because there have been so many good rogue stories, and I think that's... I know it's not fair to compare this new rogues story to theirs to like to the old ones, especially ones by Jeff Johns, but it's almost impossible because he's using the same types of characters. They're slightly different, but they're still the rogues. So I'm still going to be making some of those comparisons. Um, but I mean, it's, as I said, it's not a, not a bad issue. It still has, it still has a lot to, uh, 
to give the reader. It just could have been, I think, a little bit stronger. Uh, so that's it. This issue was, again, by Francis Manipal and Brian Busilato. Uh It's nice to see Manipal on artwork again because he hasn't done all the issues thus far. Give that one a, a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, next up is Uncanny X-Men number 17. Wow, this book doesn't need to exist, and it's frustrating. I originally was going to give it a 6, but the more I think about it, the more I think I'm, I'm going to give it a 5. Uh, Uncanny X-Men 17 is frustrating. Why? Um, I, I don't know why this book is even happening. It... Wolverine and the X-Men has been such a strong book since its inception. Yet, uh, Kieran Gillen and Daniel Acuna and Mike Del Mundo do not do a great job of, of a Mr. Sinister story here. Uh, I don't like this version of Mr. Sinister. I don't find it that interesting. I don't find his whole, you know, whole city of Sinisters that interesting. Uh, I do like Unit. I think he's been an interesting character, so I like the, how he was involved here. But otherwise, I just... I don't like that Sinister is able to stop the Phoenix Five even for a fraction of a second. Uh, I didn't really like how he was kind of dealt with and almost in such a haphazard manner and then kind of destroyed. And then um, and how Cyclops seems even more villainous here than he does in AVX, if that's even possible. Uh, just when he's like, Sinister Species is done. The world is safe and entirely ours. Really? Where's your mustache? You have to be twirling your mustache if you're going to say stuff like that, Cyclops. Um... So I was really disappointed. Uh, give it a 5 out of 10, actually, now the more I think about it. Uh, given all the ABX times that we've had, some of them really good, some of them not so good, some of them didn't need to exist, some of them just seemed to invalidate everything I've been reading already in ABX. That's why I felt about this. Uh, it didn't need to happen. Uh, kind of made the... Like, if Sinister can do it, why can't anybody else, why can't all the other science people just take them out and punk them? Like, that's basically what happened here. And it just felt disrespectful to those characters. Uh, although them being possessed by the Phoenix and acting the way they are is already disrespectful enough. Uh, next up is Venom number 23. Uh, this is the first issue to not have Rick Remender writing it. It's by Colin Bunn. That's a common name this week, isn't it? Uh, it's the artwork's by, I guess, Tony Silas. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan, to be honest with you, of this book. Uh, I was, I was excited for the issue. Uh, I found some of the, the panel layouts a little strange. Um, I, I guess I don't like, I di wasn't a huge fan of the whole, now I forget the name of it, but the Circle 3 or that Circle 4, the big demonic storyline that Venom was involved with, issue 13, 13.1, 13 .1, 13 .2, 14, I didn't like that whole storyline, so having him up against Damon Hellstrom really doesn't work for me, uh, I, it could be... It's it's the first twenty two issues were pretty very strong. You had a s strong villain, uh, or at least a villainous presence in the way of either Jack O'Lantern or Crime Master. You had Flash having to deal with uh, his responsibilities with Betty and with his family. And then this issue just kind of feels like, huh? You know, like why why does this matter? Why do I, why is he up against Hellstrom? It, it just it didn't have the same kind of resonance. The first 22 issues were very strong, very character-based. This felt like it got away from, from Bun, to be honest with you. So, uh, I'm not a huge fan. Um, give it a 6.5. To be honest, actually, I'm changing my mind. I'm going to give it a 6. It's a 6 out of 10. It's... it's uh, it just found it frustrating. Brings it up to something else that's very frustrating. Web of Spider-Man 129.1. Uh, I don't know why they're bothered. I know that... Why don't they just do... You know, it's Spider-Man's 50th anniversary and special number one, two, two, three, four, five, six, or whatever they want to do. Why bring back every old title and add a point one, or in most cases, a point two? What is the point? Uh, that being said, 
some of the stories have been good because, well, I guess the one I really liked the most was the one where you had the Acme, uh, the warehouse, and Peter Parker kind of, you know, how he felt about that and doing a new story there and remembering what it meant to him and, and his development as a person because that's where he found the burglar after Uncle Ben died. I mean, that was a very strong story. The one on... Uh, I, I apologize, I think it was Sensational, the point one and point two, was about uh, Carly Cooper and her and dealing with the, the Vulture, which was kind of an odd story because it didn't really celebrate Spider-Man as much. Whatever. This issue, and I guess it's up, uh, it's next issue as well, I really didn't enjoy it at all. I just felt the artwork is not at all to my to, to my taste. Uh, it's by, uh, let me just go find the artist's name here. Uh, it's not an artist I remember seeing before. Damian Scott. Stuart Moore's doing the writing. Really didn't like it. Didn't really enjoy it. I found the artwork really didn't work for me. I don't care about the Brooklyn Avengers, you know, retconning this ridiculous team that he was briefly part of, that there might be a murder conspiracy. No, thank you. This isn't how you celebrate Spider-Man's 50th anniversary. You tell good, solid stories about good characters. You don't retcon in stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. You don't retcon in characters that are laughable, and, and you don't put artists on it that make it hard to read uh this was just not an enjoyable book uh i didn't i didn't enjoy it it didn't need to happen i wouldn't have, i wouldn't pick it up uh if i could go back in time and stop myself from picking up i would uh, i gave it uh originally i was thinking a four but the more i think about it i think i'm actually going to give it a three out of ten which i think is so far my lowest rating for any of these books uh that i've done an audio review for i just i didn't care it didn't grab me didn't make me interested didn't want to watch it. Uh, sorry, uh, read it at all. The artwork hurt my eyes. It just this isn't not how you celebrate the 50th anniversary of Spider-Man. Uh, it wasn't a good issue, even if it wasn't the 50th anniversary. And the fact that it was, and that's what this is supposed to be, made me more disappointed. To be honest with you. Next up is Wolverine number 312, continuing the return of Sabretooth, a character that didn't need to die in the first place and didn't need to come back either. Um, not a big fan of Jeff Loeb on Wolverine. I like him on some things. I didn't mind uh, Avengers X Sanction because I like him on Cable, and he actually has a really good Cable, uh, and always has. Uh, I don't care for his Wolverine. I don't really care for Simone Bianchi. I know a lot of people really like his artwork. I do not. Uh, I generally don't like the whole story about Romulus anyway. Uh, I didn't really enjoy a lot of the X-Men, uh, sorry, Wolverine Origins run because of all that Romulus stuff. I just felt it, it really ruined part... Like, I like... I don't like that Wolverine is this big piece and this big long plan. I don't care. I don't want that to be the case. I don't find it interesting. Now there's Remus, Romulus' sister. The artwork's, I gotta admit, the artwork's fine. It's not that bad. It's not, it doesn't fall into the same traps I think it has in the past uh, when I've read read his artwork before. But I just really didn't give a lot, uh, I I didn't find the story all that interesting. Um... Yeah, I guess there's a lot of stuff for the, like, kind of trying to have these cool moments for, like, Sabretooth fighting Wolverine. That's cool. Uh, hey, look, here's here's Romulus, and he's in a Weapon X tank. Isn't that cool? Isn't that nostalgia? I don't care. I don't enjoy it. It's not fun. I just find the artwork's a little drab and dark, and it's got nice detail, but I don't like the overwhelming feeling of just darkness and, like, taking itself so seriously, and I just don't care about Romulus. Like, the writing is so over the top, and... Uh, this just isn't the type of Wolverine story I want to read. Um, I just, I don't care. I gave it a 5 out of 10. It just wasn't that enjoyable. Uh, it just kind of happens. And 
what's the, like ooh boy there's a remus because there's a romulus and look just like in the ancient days of rome romulus and remus really that's what you've got for us jeff Loeb? thanks i did not need to read that you could have just left Sabretooth dead or you know not killed him at all with a stupid miramasa blade that would have been fine too um so thanks for that thanks for nothing next up is x-men legacy 272 Wow, really? I I can I'm so frustrated by this book because it looks like it's ending, and this is the this is the note where it's going to end on. Like it's told some good stories in the past, and I actually liked its AVX tie-in with uh, Rogue and Ms. Marvel. But then Rogue got shunted into this alternate reality, or sorry, other dimensions. Sorry, not alternate reality. And I just I'm not interested. The artwork's by Sandoval. It's written by Gage, who I actually really like. Um, but I just felt like it was more of the same. You know, it's it's. It's Rogue being stuck on this alien planet, trying to figure out what to do, and, you know, it it just kind of happens. I don't understand the need for this story. It's not a very strong Rogue story either. Um, It's just, it just kind of happens, and, you know, her her getting involved in basically, like, a, a big war on an alien planet... If any other character could have gotten involved, it might have been more interesting. Especially given her weird power set, like, she's... I don't know. She just kind of feels out of place, and I can't believe that there's still another issue to go in this storyline. And it says only to be continued, not to be concluded, so that makes, leads me to believe that we're not done. We've got more of this. Oh boy. Better strap yourselves in. Uh, so I, I give that a 5 out of 10. Uh, I, if I hadn't read it, I wouldn't have missed anything. So, that's disappointing. You'll notice that there's a few of the titles that came out from Marvel and DC this week that I did not end up touching on. Uh, they include the Savage Hawkman number 12. Uh, I just didn't want to read Savage Hawkman, so you can take from that what you will. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the new 52 interpretation of the character. Haven't really kept up with it. Didn't think it would be fair for me to read it and not really know what I'm talking about. Uh, and uh, so I just thought I'd leave that alone. Justice League Dark, that's another one where I haven't really... I started to read part of it, and I was like, you know what? I haven't read most of these issues. I don't even know if I care to or would enjoy them if I did, but uh, it wouldn't. Again, it wouldn't be a fair assessment of the book, so I'd leave that alone. <laughs> Pretty much the same thing can be said for All Star Western twelve and the Fury of Firestorm number twelve, and I also stayed away from Wolverine Annual number one, mainly because I'm not a huge fan of Alan Davis's Clandestine, uh, and since that's mainly he's done a bunch of annuals this year, and they all have that common theme of Clandestine. I don't think they're all tied in per se, but I knew they all bring up those characters and since i have no relation to those characters no touchstone don't care don't really want to read them don't don't and in fairness don't know much about them i thought i'd stay away from that so that is the uh this week's comics that have been audio reviewed by me adam chapman uh thanks for listening to the fourth episode of comic shenanigans our next episode hopefully we'll be discussing uh i'll have a guest uh Returning guest Paul Scores, my brother-in-law, and we'll be talking comics. Specifically, we should be talking about the our top five uh, favorite and least favorite X-Men stories. Uh, and we're just going to be looking at books with X-Men in the title, so not looking at periphery titles, not looking at X-Factor, X-Force, X-Men, Wolverine, all the solo titles, etc. Um, except in the cases where we're referencing a mega storyline, I'm sure one or, one or both of us will mention Operation Zero Tolerance at one point or another. Uh, so thank you for listening to Comic Shenanigans. Make sure to look uh, be on the lookout for Episode 5, so, which will be with Paul Scores, talking about X-Men top five favorite and least favorite X-Men stories. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and make sure to have a shenanigan.